0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back for another week of Unfiltered. So excited to introduce you to our guest for today, Sarah Bryan. One of the reasons why I love this podcast is that I get to speak to people who I personally really admire, who I take so much inspiration from in my own work and day-to-day life. And Sarah is certainly one of those people. She is a coach working with women on body image issues towards self-love and self-acceptance and her business, Kindful Body and Mind, could not be a more accurate description of Sarah's approach and overall attitude She educates and advocates and spreads awareness in such a kind and compassionate way. And I can only imagine that is precisely how she is with her clients as well. Sarah also dealt with binge eating disorder, which although it's the most common eating disorder, it is the one that is the least recognized. It is truly, truly hiding in plain sight. Binge eating disorder actually affects three times The number of people who have been diagnosed with anorexia and bulimia combined, but it is really not as well known as it should be given how common it is. It was finally added to the DSM-5 in 2013, but we are still continuing to see just really high levels of ignorance about the disorder, not just on a social level. But also from medical professionals, and Sarah and I get into that a little bit today, some misfires with treatment and some responses or attitudes that she encountered, which she is working actively as a professional herself to sort of dismantle some of those stigmatized ideas around how eating disorders present and what they look like and how people are experiencing them. We talk about her experience not only through her eating disorder but her recovery and what made her decide to work with people in the capacity that she does now. We also talk about some of the awkward experiences we've both had trying to spread awareness in the media around eating disorders and where we think that things can improve in that department along with a whole host of other things, which I think you guys will find really valuable in today's episode. I hope you get an awful lot out of our chat today and make sure you go and find Sarah absolutely everywhere all over the internet. So Sarah, thank you so much for coming and chatting to me today. I am such a huge fan of your work. As I said to you before, I cannot even remember how I stumbled across you on Instagram, but I'm so thankful that I did. You are such a bright light on my feed if our listeners needed to know three things about you before we start chatting today, what would they be?
1: Hi, me. Now you've got me blushing after all those compliments. It's <laughs> <You're> so sweet. <laughs> um, all right. So three things. Um, I'm a huge animal lover, I'm a bit of a cat lady. I've got three cats and two bunny rabbits. Um, I would definitely have loads more animals if i had the space <laughs> what else? i can touch my nose with my tongue that's a party trick three things about
0: me what's the final one um
1: what can why we find am you? i stuck on this <laughs> because <boat?
0: laughs> <laughs> it's weird it's like when people ask you questions like what's the most embarrassing memory and you're like the time i'm taking answering this question because i can't remember right now what's something we can find you doing on the weekends
1: Reading. I'm a bookworm. That's, yep. a, that's a good one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I set myself a challenge for 35 books this year and I've already smashed, I think like 57. So
0: Fantastic. You are putting me to shame. I have become so bad that I have made an excuse for myself that I'm just so busy that I can't even pick up a book. I just do audio books now. That is terrible. What are you reading at the moment? Yeah, what am I reading? I just finished... I actually just posted on my Instagram, um, it's called Eat Up by
1: Ruby Tando and it's all about food Mm. and the complexities around food and I actually think that would be um, a great recommendation for your listeners as well. So it goes into, you know, intuitive eating and things like that Um, but I just found it such a breath of fresh air Mm. um, when we look at food and you know all the confusing messages around it and it was pretty much a love story to food so I can't stop gushing about it it was
0: an incredible read and so beautifully written as well yeah a love story to food I like that that sort of should be the tagline for intuitive eating so because I do notice that you do book recommendations on your Instagram which I love because like I said I've always got a list not that I pick them up I buy them on the audiobook store Uh, and that's what I love about your instagram is it's such a balance of uh awareness it's such a balance of education but also most crucially your lived experience can you give me a little bit of background and just tell our audience sort of what brought you to this place where did it all start what was your experience with your eating disorder
1: yeah absolutely so you know this is a long story and it goes back quite a bit but that's um, the beauty f- of a podcast
0: we are not <laughs> <Yeah>. limited
1: <laughs> um, where do I start I, I guess um, what led me here was my diagnosis with binge eating disorder um, in 2017 um, so that was two years ago now I went un- undiagnosed for about 12 years um, so You know, looking back, my earliest memories of binge eating and body image issues started around when I was 16. Um, And, you know, since that time, uh, between that time and my diagnosis was, you know, just a really tough time for me, you know, not like being really confused and not knowing what was going on and feeling like there was something wrong with me and feeling out of control. Um, but once I finally received that diagnosis my life sort of changed it was like a light bulb um, flipped on in my head and it was like wow I can put I guess a name to what I was experiencing and just knowing that I wasn't alone and um, you know I just completely did a turn I started to feel more confident in my body and have a more healthier relationship with food and then I was really inspired to help other women who were going through similar things, um, whether or not they had been diagnosed with an eating disorder or had eating disorder symptoms, I think negative body image is something that a lot of people deal with, um, but women specifically, so yeah, that's how it all started and although it was a really tough time, every day I just count my blessings, I'm so grateful for what I went through because it has brought me here today and It's just provided me with such a new lease on life and, you know, I feel really positive and, you know, I love sharing my story with others um, to inspire them and to show that there is help available and, you know, you can heal from these things as well. Mm -hmm.
0: Were you aware of binge eating disorder before it was sort of given to you as a diagnosis?
1: That is a great question. No, I wasn't. So... I'm 30, so I was in high school a long time ago, 11 years, I
0: think, to finish. <laughs> yep. Don't worry, Sarah. Uh, I was in high school less recently than you, so <laughs> by about a year. 31, um, almost 32. Oh, 30. Okay. All
1: right. You win. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you can probably relate to this as well, that, you know, there was very limited education around mental Totally.
0: Gender. Especially eating disorders. The only thing I ever heard was anorexia and bulimia and it was about four and a half minutes on a random Thursday in year 11 I think and that was it
1: I can totally totally relate to that and growing up in a small country town as well there was just no education about it so like you said the only eating disorders I had heard of were anorexia and bulimia and because I didn't fit those sort of perceptions of what someone with an eating disorder one of those eating disorders looks looks like or engages in the behaviors they engage in engage in i didn't think that i had an eating disorder because you know that was the perception of what an eating disorder was
0: mm-hmm. i completely agree because i on hindsight could say you know I was diagnosed with anorexia binge purge subtype which even that I was like I'm sorry what now what is that little thing you said at the end that's a whole lot of new words I've never heard but my eating disorder actually evolved from binge eating disorder into bulimia and then morphed into anorexia binge purge subtype but I also didn't have any representation of the two diagnosed well bulimia yes but certainly binge eating disorder, but I didn't have a body that would qualify as the stereotype. Well, even when I had anorexia, binge purge, subtype, which is why I think that I missed the mark on intervening earlier because I didn't even know there were eating disorders present until it was one that would be, you know, traditionally recognized. So that idea that we have no education just means people aren't even plugged into what's going on with them or or given a language to understand what's going on with them. So when you sought treatment, how easy was that process?
1: I tried to get an answer very early on. So, you know, I was battling with mental illness, things like depression and anxiety. And, you know, it's one of the cases it's like, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, was it the the eating disorder that um, contributed to the anxiety and depression or was it the anxiety and depression that contributed to the eating disorder? Um, But, you know, regardless of the eating disorder, I was feeling really, you know, mentally unwell. Um, So I was trying to get some answers as to what was going on, but I didn't really know how to tell people what I was experiencing and you know that also comes down to shame as well which is you know something that I'd love to discuss discuss more yeah it just came down to a lack of awareness and knowledge and I didn't know how to engage in help seeking for specifically my body image issues and my relationship with food and it would often end up with me just feeling completely disgusted in my body and then heading down the the path of chronic dieting and, you know, just that merry-go-round of diet binge, diet binge, um, all that sort of fun stuff. But then, you know, I feel like forces aligned and um, I had a huge breakthrough in 2017 where I was sitting at the doctor's office and as usual, they made me jump on the scales for no, for no reason, except that you know, just jump on the scales and, you know, I looked at the scales and in front of me, I saw the heaviest weight that I had been and that absolutely devastated me. And, you know, just as I was going to sign up to the latest fad diet, you know, something clicked inside of me. And a few months prior, I'd been speaking to my psychologist about my food and eating behaviors. And she um had been networking with a local dietitian who specialized in eating disorders and you know i remembered that she'd given me her business card so i went on her website and um i looked up binge eating disorder and i thought oh my gosh that's me so i ended up making an appointment with her and yeah that's how i got the diagnosis and started to receive
0: treatment yeah you touched on shame in your process and how that does inhibit us even talking about it on a peer level, talking to friends or family about it. I was also deeply, deeply ashamed of my behaviors. Behaviors like binging and purging are really stigmatized. You know, everyone wants to focus on sort of the restrictive part of my eating disorder, but the most chronic and distressing part of my eating disorder was the binging and purging. How did shame sort of play a role in The process of getting help for you, or even in your eating disorder, how did shame show up?
1: It showed up quite a lot, and yeah, as you said, there's um, a lot of stigma around you know binge eating um, and the process. So I just remember feeling really ashamed of what I was engaging in, and that has a lot to do with society's perception of bodies and you know food and one body being better than another body, and our obsession with weight loss so you know I've always lived in um you know I guess a larger body um compared to my peers and with that comes the added element of you know food shame you know you don't want to be perceived as doing the wrong thing I suppose and yeah just the stigma that goes along with someone in a larger body and and eating mm-hmm. and that has a lot of shame within itself, but then when you push binge eating into the process, which is um, consuming larger amounts of food and you know being quite secretive about the food, that just adds another element of shame. So, I think that definitely contributed to you know me not reaching out for help earlier um, because I was ashamed and not speaking to anyone else about it, whether it be peers or you know a psychologist it's just not something that you see people talking about Agreed. and
0: yeah mm. it's always a bit ve- well i mean it is changing but it, it we need many more representations of not just different diagnoses but even non-diagnoses so when you went into recovery what did that process look like for you how did your recovery unfold so my
1: recovery um, sort of
0: aligned with the time in my life
1: where I had had quite a severe um, depressive episode. So I was currently off work. I'd left my full-time job to focus on my health. And so I was already engaging in a psychologist and a psychiatrist at the time. So I felt really supported um, going in to see the dietician uh, because I did have, you know, those three people that I could speak to about it. And I think the thing that benefited me most in my recovery was knowing that I wasn't alone. So I remember just speaking to my dietitian about binge eating and, you know, I just felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders and she actually referred me to a recovery group So it was a group therapy program i think it ran for 12 weeks and as luck would have it it started um within a couple of weeks of me engaging with the dietitian so i joined that group and honestly it was just such a life-changing experience for me um, being surrounded by women who had experienced similar symptoms and i remember on our first week we all sat in a circle and we all had the opportunity to share our stories and it was the first time that I'd actually spoken publicly about the food shame and the the hiding of the food and the secrecy and the things that I did and you know I spoke of about bits that had happened in my life in the past and, you know, seeing it, how it all fit in together. And, and yeah, just knowing that I wasn't alone in what I was experiencing was just incredible. And yeah, that went on for 12 weeks. And by the end of it, I was feeling so positive about how I can move forward um, in my recovery.
0: Mm. Were there other people in that group who were also struggling with BED? Yes. Great, fantastic. So it was sort of like a fairly, you know, diverse group in terms of the different diagnoses. Well, it was mainly BED. Okay, because I know that that can be the hesitation of some people to go to support groups where, Uh, because it it might be more a, a dominant sort of diagnosis that's sitting in that group it can sometimes be a bit hard to feel like you can speak up or relate so that's fantastic that there was you know sort of that safe space and people coming from similar positions did you seek out people online who were sort of telling a similar story to what you had gone through
1: yeah absolutely so once i sort of you know discovered binge eating disorder existed um i and then realized that i wasn't alone um yeah i started sort of filling my social media feeds with people that um, were on a path to healing their own relationship with food and with their bodies and you know, it is quite, it is still quite difficult to find people who are speaking about binge eating disorder. But again, I think that, and I've also spoken about this with my clients as well. I think it just comes down to the lack of knowledge about it and lack of education, not only from people that are suffering from binge eating disorder, but also medical professionals as well. So, um, yeah. Do you hear the same horror stories I hear? <laughs> yes. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: And, yeah, even with my own experiences of, um, you know, trying to tell my doctor what I was going through and being told, go see a dietitian and go lose weight. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. And I had another experience where I was seeing a psychotherapist who was treating me with hypnotherapy as well so but in not in relation to binge eating but in relation to my weight and mm. yeah it was just
0: and yeah I look back and I cringe and did that make you want to turn away from tri- what sort of impression did that leave you with
1: well at that time I thought that that's what I had to do so and I guess that's why I stayed stuck for so long because I thought weight loss and dieting was the answer if only I stopped eating all this food if only I made better choices and things like that because that's what they were sort of encouraging me to do so at the time I didn't know there was any different way to
0: recover from what I was going through that's what breaks my heart the most when I have clients come to me who've been sort of through the roundabout of mostly going to doctors They ha- because they don't know they're dealing with a mental illness. They will come to me and they'll be so hesitant to be trusting or open up or allow you to kind of uh, help them initially. They do have the desire for help, but they're so uh, impacted by how they've been received before. Because so much of what they're told is that it is a, it is their own personal failing. It is a moral failing. But we're not saying to people with, well, in, bulimia cops a little bit of it as well because there's also, you know, the waste component. You know, you're throwing up food, you're being wasteful. So again, there's that uh, focus on anorexia being, you know, they are, that that is the diagnosis where there is a, a, a degree of sympathy at least. There's still some uh, judgment in terms of, you know, being... Uh, materialistic or superficial and it all just about being thin so none of us really get away with too much uh, and all completely inaccurate obviously so in your experience with uh, clients etc when they come to you do you see that showing up a lot that they've been given the impression that this is their own personal failing that it's moralistic that it's something that they have done wrong
1: Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And I can relate to that as well. You know, there's the perception that, you know, you just can't control yourself or, you know, just stop eating. Like it's as simple as, you know, just stop eating so much food, but it's not. And whether that is through medical professionals that have sort of indicated things like that. But I think just society as a whole, not having that understanding or awareness of binge eating disorder. It's it's like they take the name literally like binge eating. It's just about binge eating, but it's so much more complex than that. Mm-hmm. You know? This stuff just doesn't happen because, you know, we love we love food and we can't stop eating it and there are so many more aspects
0: to that as well. And it's so just not about the food. No, no. I, at the time when I would binge, I tasted nothing, absolutely nothing. I was just after the numbing fix. That was it. Food started to actually gain taste once I started recovering. And I was like, oh, wow, I was eating all that food and none of it was enjoyable. And now I actually eat it in amounts that I can enjoy and I can connect with it because it's not really something that i'm using as a way to numb myself and that's purely what it was was that your experience it sort of had a numbing effect to it yeah
1: numbing. yeah that's exactly why i started engaging it and i'm not sure i don't think i mentioned that in the start but um yeah i'd love to discuss that a bit more because i think that might resonate with people who are struggling with that is it started off as a way to numb my feelings of unworthiness so it's My earliest memory was when I was 16, but I'm sure there were signs even earlier than that was I was already struggling to keep up with the pressures of being a teenage girl. Um, And then my world came crashing down when a close group of my friends just suddenly stopped talking to me at school, which is Mm. the worst thing to happen uh, back in high school. (laughs) Life ending in
0: high school, truly. Mm.
1: So, yeah, for weeks they wanted nothing to do with me and, um, you know, going to a small country town, that was just a huge impact. So I started to feel really isolated and, you know, I had no one to turn to, so I started to turn to food and food became my friend. It started to comfort me when no one else could and, you know, it numbed those feelings of hopelessness and unworthiness as well. Mm.
0: It is such an escape. That was my feeling whenever i engaged in that behavior was just i just don't have to think for 10 to 20 minutes and of course then the shame and the guilt and the regret comes screaming in but when you don't have anything else as you say you don't have any other outlet anyone to talk to those 10 20 minutes you'll take them Mm -hmm. right at any cost And that's why I always say, yes, there are absolutely nuances to each diagnosis or even non-diagnosis, but there's such a thread of commonality throughout all of our experiences, and that is that we're just trying to cope. We're just trying to survive, and this is the way that for as long as we feel that we, you know, don't have anything else, this is how we are trying to just get through.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's probably helped knowing that helped me in my breakthrough to recovery was knowing that I was, I was just trying to survive um, as best as I knew how. Mm. And, you know, I think binge eating, the misconception about binge eating disorder is that it's a food addiction, but actually it's, it's not, it's, you
0: know, a way to cope
1: mm. with
0: life. Mm. I completely agree. I always say to clients, cause there's so much, there's not just shame in the eating disorder. There's then shame in recovery, which I experienced. I was telling somebody the other day, my YouTube channel, I for some reason thought that no one would ever find it who I knew and my Instagram uh, page, which was associated with it, what Mia did next, people started finding it in my personal life. And I talked openly about everything on that channel and on my Instagram page and people I knew would find my Instagram page and add me and I would freak out and block them even though they'd already seen it, Mia. They they know what's up. They You can't take that back. Because even in my recovery in the early days, I was still deeply, deeply ashamed of, you know, yeah, not just my uh, eating disorder, but even recovering from it. And I really needed to make peace with the fact that it wasn't my fault in the sense that it wasn't my choice, that it was something which developed where there was an enormous gap in my development of coping skills and like you, I sort of had this event take place. My parents split up when I was 19 and got my whole, yeah, waving during the club. yeah, <laughs> there you go. And all these associated things. And I was in my first year of uni. My whole world exploded. Like I remember saying to people, I feel like I don't have anything underneath me. I'm just in free fall. And this was something I could reach for. And a big part of me overcoming that shame and that guilt was saying to myself, this great quote about forgiveness, Forgiveness is not saying that what happened was okay. Forgiveness is saying it couldn't have been any different. That you did what you could with what you had at the time. And now that you have something different, you can do something different. You can do better for yourself, I suppose. And the concept of self-forgiveness is a big part of stuff that I do with clients. Is that Was that sort of part of your process as well? Kind of making peace with that younger person who was just flailing around trying to keep it together however she could. Yeah, I
1: have a lot of I feel really protective of my inner child and what she went through and, you know, looking back I'm so proud that she got through that time in with the ways that she knew how to. So yeah, I can definitely relate to that and I love the idea of, you know, forgiving yourself for that. And I can totally totally relate to, you know, the journey of recovery too. So you said that you block people that you knew on Instagram who started following you I felt very similar when I did my first TV interview um last month um you know I'm very open about my experience with binge eating disorder you know it's on my website I blog about it I talk about it on Instagram but having it on TV I was just like felt a real, a bit uncomfortable about it and I'm not sure if you can relate but is that is that the stigma of binge eating disorder coming back into play like I think a little bit because
0: when I, you know, one of my my most uh, popular video on YouTube is about uh, bulimia and about my experience when I was suffering from bulimia, and I when that started to gain traction, I was like, oh no 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 no, I've made a ter- terrible error, you know, because it's you know it it was really taking off, and I think I think it is. I think that it can be less out less our shame of ourselves and more our understanding that it's not understood and that there are perceptions which aren't in line with what we know but that that's just another thing that we have to challenge you know that's a that we can't once it's out there we can't control and when it's with media as well we were talking about this a little bit before we started chatting, which was when I did the Today Show, they were asking me for photos from when I was at my lowest weight, which I've never shared publicly and never would or will. And I refused and I was really clear about why it's not productive. That's not what I'm coming on to talk about. I'm not just coming on to talk about like this short part of my experience. Uh, And it's got to be inclusive. We've got to talk about eating disorders. And they were not happy about that. Because they have this idea of what that's meant to look like. And I was meant to provide the evidence that I fit into that picture, that box for them. So it is running into that stuff, which kind of reinforces oh, well, should I be ashamed of my behaviors and what's showed up for me? Did you kind of have that feeling going into that interview a little bit? Like, how's this going to be perceived?
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: And getting, uh, like with you, they were sort of prying into it a little bit more than is productive um, and safe as well. Um, Mm. So I got the question around what type of food
0: I binged on. And Um, how much food they also asked you. Yeah, That's number one Mm no-no. I know.
1: And I try very nicely to, you know, move on um or just not answer that question but the presenter came back to me with that question um even though she could clearly see that i wasn't interested in answering that so um as you said questions like that or information is not necessary i was there to share my experience and it doesn't matter how much food i ate it doesn't matter uh, what type of foods i ate um we all all of our experiences are valid you know things like that can lead to really unhealthy behaviors in other people who might be experiencing it and, and watched it you know like with the today show wanting to show your photos of you being at your lowest weight incredibly unhelpful to to other people
0: and i think think that's where you can really see, and I'm always quite stunned, it, there are some media outlets I work with who are really open to being educated and others who seem to be that way and then I'll contribute a quote or a comment and the images they run to accompany that I'm like oh my gosh like you know and then people have this misconception that I've like been part of that like I went into you know the newspaper and picked the photos they were going to use and it is quite stunning in that context to be like wow you guys just really really don't know how to handle these topics sensitively or not sensitively but productively, as we've said a couple of times, you're trying to get to an outcome. You're trying to, uh, reach a goal and the way in which it's handled. I just don't feel like is doing it that effectively. case in point, there was a comment in your interview with them where one of them said, do we need to think of binge eating disorder as a disorder and not just a behavior? And it was like the, Answer is in the question. Binge eating <laughs> disorder is a disorder. <laughs> yes, I totally forgot about that. Question. It's like I don't even need to answer that for you because you just did that all by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, point. with the sort of traditional media representation, what is what's lacking? Like, where does it need to be improved? How can it be improved? Like, how how can they be more responsible? Um,
1: that's a really great question. I think diversity as well.
0: Um, yeah. And, you
1: know, I, f- I feel like we've we've come in this conversation, we've come around in a circle because you sort of said, you know, when you've provided quotes to newspapers and things like that, and then they've used, um, you know, inappropriate imagery, it comes back to us in the beginning saying, you know, there's a lack of education of what is an eating disorder and there's stereotypes around eating disorders. So I feel like they're still feeding into that, you know, this is what a des- eating disorder is. Um, and if you don't look like that or if you don't engage in these behaviours, then you don't have an eating disorder. So then there's people that, you know, are like I was, and I'm sure you were too, living in shame and not knowing what was going on. So I feel like there needs to be more diversity around eating disorders. And I know that there is some of that coming soon i'm very fortunate to get involved with the butterfly foundation on the weekend about diversity so Fantastic. that'll be really exciting but oh, i wish i was yeah. home for that <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll <have> to tell me <laughs> all about
1: it yes i will i will you know sharing more lived experience rather than i mean a mixture of lived experience and the medical side of
0: things mm-hmm. I think letting people talk, that's what was, I was like, in that interview, I was like, let her talk, let her tell her to tell her story. I want to know, like, you know, let her, it, don't, it's so funneled into what their preconception is. It's more like, let these people with lived experience educate you. That's why you've invited them on is for education. So allow them to, through their lived experience, educate you and tell you about what this is instead of telling them what it is.
1: Yes, that's a great point. Um, You know, that day, actually, I was expecting to speak a bit longer, but that day there was um, quite a big news story in Australia. So um, I feel like my interview might have got cut short a little bit. But, um, yeah, I was hoping to talk more about my own personal experience because by sharing my story, I'm giving others permission to start talking about their story. So, you know, it's all well and good for me to say, you know, I ha- I had binge eating disorder. Oh, I-, I still, you know, I'm recovering from binge eating disorder and this is what happened. Um, but, you know, going a little bit more deeper about what I was experiencing um, rather than just some stock standard responses, mm. um, I think would be helpful. And that's what I'm, I think because binge eating disorder is one of the ADs that lack a bit of representation um yeah i'd love to see you know more people talk about it but again there's that stigma and shame and people don't feel comfortable doing it but you know you've got to start somewhere and i'm very fortunate to have developed the confidence to be able to share my story and own it and you know as i said i've started you know working a little bit with the butterfly foundation so if there are any opportunities you know, I will jump at any opportunity to speak about it because I think that's just so important. If I had heard someone talking about binge eating when I was at my lowest, it made a whole world of difference. For me. Yeah. Can you tell me about this work you're doing with Butterfly
0: or is it confidential at this point?
1: No, it's not confidential. Um, oh, I don't think so. Anyway, <laughs> um, it's just, a campaign they'll be running um next month i think it's just about you know a bit more diversity mm-hmm. in eating disorders so i get the opportunity to fly up to sydney on sunday and record a video about my experience of eating disorders and how i got help and things like that so as we were sort of saying you know talking more about it i think is really Important, So I get that opportunity with Butterfly. So, yeah, there'll be a video coming out about that and, you know, hopefully people can see and maybe see themselves in my story and take that as a sign that, you know, they are worthy of seeking help and there is support out
0: there too. I'd love them to to bring you on in a more official capacity. I, I might, would love that too. I might have a little chat to Butterfly about that. So in terms of how you see lived experience and its impact with how you share it online what's the feedback you get from people sort of taking in your content about you know them finding you and hearing you tell your story what's the feedback that people give you about the impact that's having on them um, very
1: positive thankfully because it is quite a vulnerable thing to do so you know I have a, a lot of people reach out to me and say that they can relate to things that I've experienced and you know I love to you know point people into the right direction as to where to get help because it is quite a scary process as well and the lack of education and, you know, a lot of people aren't really sure where to start. So I've had a really great response from people um, about binge eating disorder and sharing my lived experience. So, you know, I love doing the advocacy work. Um, it just brings me so much joy.
0: I think you do such a beautiful job of like the, you picked the right name for your business and your handle and everything at Kindful. I love that. Because I think that comes through your, your education of people, your representation of yourself, the way in which you address people going through something similar. But most importantly, the way you educate people who may not know is incredibly kind and compassionate and understanding that people aren't coming at this with ignorance by choice. It is their total lack of education and maybe, yes, a lack of impetus on their behalf to go and find out about it. Uh, But if we're going to welcome people into a movement or welcome people into educating themselves, we've got to kind of let them figure it out and do it imperfectly, you know? And I think that you create a space where they can do that and they can kind of find their feet and do it in in a place that's really compassionate and really really kind. So excellent on brand, <laughs> <laughs> you know, on brand, brand business something? name. I'll Go share something it. with you. I
1: was um, speaking with a mentor last year and he was a an older male. And he said that my, he essentially said that my business name was not good. Yeah. So I felt like really, you know, there was a lot of self doubt around that, but thank you so much for your kind words and I've had so many people sort of reach out and say that you know that's a really lovely name
0: and it's beautiful I think it I think it encapsulates a whole attitude you know being kindful being you know keeping that as because my one of my things that I try to impress upon my community is let kindness always be your default That's not saying come and trample all over my boundaries or, you know, that you have to turn the other cheek when somebody is just being relentlessly nasty. That's what the block button is for. But to come into situations with that as sort of your setting, that that is how you're going to approach people. And that's always going to be your first instinct is to come from a kind place. And you can still protect your boundaries and, you know, take care of yourself whilst being kind. (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's quite funny, actually, because I did have someone, um, someone come in to me and was quite negative about me using the word "fat," because I I identify as a fat person. Your listeners that can't actually see me, yes, I do live in a larger body, and I've sort of reclaimed the word "fat." Um, but I had someone that wasn't really happy with my use of that language so i was very kind about it but they sort of came back to me and said that my name shouldn't be kind for body and mind because i'm not a kind person
0: <laughs> well I I can't vouch- in fact oddly you know i don't recommend sharing your entire recovery with the internet uh, as i accidentally did because it's not for everyone but it did kind of help me to build up a pretty thick skin in the sense that it was like i literally can't win i've lived my whole life trying to Look perfect, be perfect, act perfect to avoid judgment and criticism. And I'm now figuring out that is impossible. That it is, it is a race I cannot win. So I am just bowing out. I'm just not running this race anymore.
1: Block. Yes, exactly. Don't <laughs> even respond. Yeah, I've
0: learned, and you do <laughs> learn. You do learn as you go on to as as to what is helpful for you. Yeah. Um, and where it's you know and like i said before like there can be criticism that's given with kindness and that is constructive and sometimes i'll see criticism of my stuff like on a video or whatever and i'll be like yeah fair point here i really really didn't do that well or yep i completely overlooked that whoops and that will actually contribute to me thinking about things differently or coming at it from a different angle um But, yeah, I completely understand that block feature where it's just like this is not constructive or productive and I don't have to actually listen to it, you know. So it's, yeah, finding that balance being online, it can be just a bit tricky. So with the development of your business, what sort of prompted you to take your lived experience and try to use it for something that's really going to sort of pay it forward is how I kind of put it in a recovery sense that you have benefited from getting through this process and now want to help others do the same.
1: I think definitely sort of putting myself in their position and going back to when I was really struggling and I just would have benefited from having someone sort of holding my hand on that journey, someone who had been through it. So like healthcare team is great, but I feel like just having someone there who I could relate to, you know, maybe someone around my own age or like a peer support person, a mentor, I just would have thrived with something like that. So that's what has prompted me to start coaching women. Yeah, I love it. I, you know, looking back when I was in high school, Like this never crossed my mind. Um, But one day it just sort of popped up in my head. And, you know, I'm also very fortunate because I do struggle a lot with my mental health. So I made the conscious decision a couple of years ago that, you know, I wanted to work in a capacity where I could, um, you know, be flexible and, yeah, take care of myself. So working for myself and doing something that I absolutely love has just,
0: Benefited my mental health so much. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is pretty awesome to work for yourself. It also sucks sometimes, but when I complain about it, my friends who are like nine to five are like, don't just shush, just be quiet. I don't want to hear it. So, Sarah, I have loved talking to you today. I know that our listeners are going to take so much from this chat. I'm really, really keen for people to come and find you. So, if they need to come and check out your beautiful feed or come to you for coaching. Where can they find you?
1: So they can find me. Um, my business is Kindful Body and Mind. Um, so www.kindfulbodyandmind.com. Um, but on Instagram, I'm at Kindful Body Mind without the end. But I'm sure you'll find me. I love connecting with people from around the world and I'm so thankful for Instagram you know we're talking about the negatives but I'm mm-hmm. so thankful that there's a sense of, sense of community um so we both
0: came across each other from absolutely Instagram. and yeah. it is if you use it for good and this is you know Instagram it can be toxic but I truly believe it's like anything it's what you it's sort of like when you look at the eating disorder it's like food or movement food and movement are objectively not issues right but it's how you use it that is its power right instagram it's how you use it it's how you as the user interact with it that's the world you're creating for yourself and guys if there's any way to bring a little bit of light into your feed it's to go and find sarah and please give her a follow and check out her amazing work I will also have all of her Um, handles tagged in my Instagram stories when I put this podcast up and on my feed and over on the SoundCloud page as well. So, Sarah, thank you so much. I really, really hope that you come back. I think there's so many other things we can do a deep dive on, especially as these topics come up and this entire area of advocacy continues to grow and change. And I'm very excited to see what you're about to do with Butterfly as well. Please keep me posted.
1: I will. Thank you so much, Mia. I could honestly sit and chat with you all day.
0: <laughs> this so will fun. be a multi-parter, I'm quite sure. <laughs> oh, lovely.
1: Thanks, I'll talk Mia. To you soon. Thanks. Bye.